Hello, welcome to the Quipster Film Review Podcast. My name is Vince Leo. I am the film critic for the website Quipster.net. I've been doing film reviews for 20 years, and you can read all of my written work at that website, Quipster.net. Q-W-I-P-S-T-E-R.net. How to Be Single is the film I'm going to be reviewing today. It's a, I guess a, some people might classify it as a romantic comedy, although some people might claim it's an anti-romantic comedy because I think that it's built on the notion that girls' night is what's going to be in store for single women who want to go to a movie during the Valentine's Day weekend with maybe with or without their significant other because it is extolling the virtues and some of the perils, I guess, of being a single woman in today's world. This is an R-rated film because of its sexual content and strong language throughout, and the runtime is an hour and 50 minutes. The cast includes Dakota Johnson, Rebel Wilson, Leslie Mann, Anders Holm, Allison Brie, Jake Lacey, and Damon Wayans Jr. The director is Christian Ritter, and the screenplay is by Abby Cohn, Mark Silverstein, and Dana Fox. In the film, Dakota Johnson gets, I guess, the closest thing that you would classify as a lead role. She's playing Alice, and Alice decides that she and her long-term college boyfriend named Josh should break up for a while in order to experience what being single is actually like before they end up proceeding through the rest of their lives together. She takes up a job as a paralegal in a new law firm in New York City where she meets the boisterous co-worker named Robin, played by Rebel Wilson. Robin shows Alice the ropes of the life of a single girl in New York City, learning important things like never paying for her own drinks and also not using an emoji before returning a text and even waiting a day before you even do that. Meanwhile, Alice's sister, Meg, she's a workaholic in the medical industry. She has no time for a real relationship or to even start a family, despite the fact that she's in her, I guess, early 40s. But she ultimately decides that perhaps it's time to rethink those notions. Now, unlike Meg... Lucy, on the other side of the spectrum, is on a gaggle of dating sites trying to find the man with whom she'll marry and start a family with, and she ends up going through a series of dating algorithms that she's sure will be the path to success in finding that ultimate mate in life. How to Be Singles directed by Christian Ditter. He, just last year, directed a film that I didn't really quite care for called Love, Rosie, in a film that featured Lily Collins. Lily Collins was also supposed to play the role that Dakota Johnson ended up in this film. Some viewers who catch How to Be Single will immediately be reminded of such TV series as Sex and the City, and I think that the correlation will come as little surprise to those who know that the film is actually based on a 2008 book by Liz Tuchillo, who also was one of the writers for Sex and the City on HBO. I think that the biggest problem with How to Be Single is that Unlike a series made for television, the screenplay from the team of Abby Cohn and Mark Silverstein, who collaborated on such films recently as The Vow and He's Just Not That Into You, which definitely had a lot of the same vibe as this film, they ended up rewriting an original adaptation from Dana Fox, who worked on the romantic comedies such as What Happens in Vegas and The Wedding Date, which were terrible films, I think. This movie tries to cram the equivalent of a whole season's worth of characters and their on-again, off-again relationships in just under two hours in runtime. How to Be Single feels like whole scenes had been chopped down or maybe even cut out entirely to get its runtime down to that sub-two-hour length. It does employ the use of holidays to denote that time is actually passing by over the course of about a year instead of just a couple of days, which is what it feels like if you're watching the movie. In kind of the 
condensed version of the way that time plays out in this film. For an example, one scene has Meg's would-be suitor, played by Jake Lacey, astonished to find her looking about eight months pregnant, stating, I was wondering why you'd been avoiding me. I mean, dude, if your woman goes from not showing in the last eight that you spent with her to ready to pop the next, despite the fact that you've been presumably constantly trying to get together, she's not just avoiding you. She's actively wanting you out of her life and has been able to successfully do it for like half a year. As a result of the abbreviated manner in which relationships are built, we don't know these characters enough to care when they look like they might find love, and we don't feel much uh, heartbreak when they realize that they actually haven't. So it's hard to reflect on our own lives through these characters when they're stuck in a tangled narrative that persistently relies on contrivances, coincidences, and a lot of forced humor to keep it all moving forward at a brisk enough pace to tie up all of the story threads before the end credits roll. Now, as with most romantic comedies, it tries to find unique wrinkles to set it apart from the rest of the pack, such as there is this wholly illogical system of counting alcoholic drinks that suggests that once the cumulative amount of adult beverages has consumed beyond the tolerance level among the two people who are on a date, they'll be having sex that night. So, for instance, if the woman's limit is three and a man's is seven before they start getting pretty tipsy, they'll end up having sex if they've both consumed the equivalent of ten drinks between them. Doesn't really make sense considering somebody, at least both parties should probably be tipsy or at least the woman, I guess. But under this system, if the woman has zero drinks over the course of the evening, are we supposed to believe that they'll still have sex if the man ends up drinking ten beers? It sounds to me like either the woman has the right to say no at that point and nothing will happen or the man who consumes that much alcohol will end up getting passed out somewhere. Nevertheless, despite... Some of these quibbles that I have, it's not all bad. I mean, I've seen worse. There's enough funny moments interspersed from scene to scene to keep the film working well as kind of a girl's night out flick, nothing too serious. And there's a few surprisingly poignant moments thrown in. A lot of them involve Dakota Johnson's ability to show convincing levels of vulnerability as an actress, despite the fact that she's not being given much of a character to work with. So kudos to her for at least making it tolerable. Other than having a sister, we have no idea about Alice having a life at all that might predate the first scene of this film. Other than a revelation about Damon Wayans Jr.'s single father character, pretty much all of the characters in this movie have no history extending before this film whatsoever, and that gives us very little insight as to who they are other than being walking and talking stereotypes for us to instantly identify with because... It's not our first time at the rom-com rodeo, so we recognize these characters based on many other characters through the histories of romantic comedies over the last 20 to 30 years. Dakota Johnson sells her scenes, even though she's playing a bit of a dimwit. For instance, she does a lot of really questionable things for somebody who's supposed to be smart. She desires Josh, her first boyfriend, back into her life because he's handy enough to figure out how to use a TV remote for a technical problem that a quick Google search on her part would have remedied in seconds. So she can't figure out how to use a remote. She can't figure out how to Google in order to solve her problems. It's a mystery how she even made it through life. On the plus side, she does eventually find a way to unzip the backs of her own dresses, but it does take her several months to figure that out. And yet, how to be singles all too familiar in the end for anybody who's seen their share of these single girls comedies like the aforementioned Sex and the City or Bridget Jones Diary or HBO's other hit in this regard, 
the TV series Girls. Rebel Wilson's here for pure comedy purposes. She's the comic relief, even though it is a comedy overall. She's essentially doing the same thing that Rebel Wilson always does in films, which is to make somewhat inappropriate comments. She doesn't really have a filter on what she says. She cavorts around like a DTF sex pot and then puts her larger body out there for some easy, broad physical humor. Leslie Mann's pretty fun to watch, as usual, but... The nature of her character doesn't really lend well to comedy. She's not given a lot to work with. And the relationship that she has with a younger guy named Ken, played by Jake Lacey, that male character seems to exist in this universe only as someone who's there for her. Whenever Meg deems herself worthy of love, he'll be there as her prize. It's all pretty superficial and unconvincing, and his character is thinly defined at best. Alison Bree, she plays Lucy, but... Of the four women that are at the front of this cast, she feels more like an outlier. She doesn't really have any relation to the other three women who are all connected very closely. And the only point of convergence for Lucy is that she's friends or she ends up being coming friends with Tom, who's the skirt chasing neighborhood bartender that also forms a casual sex partnership with Alice at some point in the movie. Now, even with a smattering of poignant moments, and some elements that touch on the trials and tribulations of not being in a relationship in this day and age, I think that How to Be Single is much more interested in trying to make you laugh than it is in imparting any inspiration on why it's okay to not always be building up to the traditional dream of society, of having a spouse and kids, and instead of fulfilling oneself with one's education first or doing some traveling or concentrating on one's career opportunities. The notion that you can't love another until you love yourself first, that's definitely something that I think that films have done in the past, but would be welcome in a film like How to Be Single. If it wants to extol the virtues of also being somebody who can find a way to fulfill yourself in life that doesn't rely on having to be a partner with somebody else. But I think that that kind of thematic material is just a little too nuanced for a film that is such a high-gloss commercial vehicle that would rather deliver breadth instead of depth in order to gain the widest audience possible. And that ends up leading to a film that's full of many characters and a lot of these collections of little tidbits that we ultimately forget once the credits roll because we're never quite rooted enough to feel any of that urgency that's necessary within the lives of these fairly vapid people who don't seem to have their stuff together and barely have it at the end. Instead of trying to put a finger on the pulse of the dating world in 2016, How to Be Single would rather use that finger to constantly poke at us, to provoke us into laughter or tears through this use of tried-and-true formula sitcom antics. Two and a half stars out of four is what I'm going to be giving How to Be Single. It's not really a good movie, but I've seen a lot worse. It definitely did hold my interest for the most part throughout, even though, and it even gave me an occasional chuckle, but for the most part, it felt like a lot of TV sitcoms and movie rom-coms that I've seen over the years. It definitely plays within the field of the genre. It doesn't really add much to it of note. So you'll probably forget it within a week of seeing it, even if you did enjoy it. Two and a half stars for How to Be Single. Thanks, everyone, for listening. I hope that you enjoyed the show. If you did, I do encourage you to click the subscribe button, and you'll continue to get all of my reviews downloaded to your podcast player throughout the year. Also, if you want to support the show, you can do so by going to iTunes or any other platform in which you've downloaded the show and leaving a review, because word of mouth is the best way that you can show your support. Let other people know that this is a show that's worth listening to if you enjoy all of the latest releases in movies. 
Thanks, everyone, for listening. And if you do end up going to the movie theater or just catching a film on VOD, I hope that you have a really great time. 